It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M. And while the new year may be approaching us, we still have time to break down some of the 2019 Texas A&M football season. Last Friday night, the team was able to go to NRG Stadium and pick up a 24-21 victory over the number 25 Oklahoma State Cowboys right in their backyard of Houston, Texas. They win the Texas Bowl. Kellen Mom wins the MVP honors. And the future of the program seems to be trending in the right direction thanks to several key players. Before we begin, make sure we guys got some housekeeping content out of the way. Make sure you're following us on social media at Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is the number one podcast for all things Texas A&M, and we post daily content on that site for you to go check out. Number two, make sure you're checking out Aggies SI. Sports Illustrated's Aggie Maven and the Locked on Podcast Network have partnered together to give you quality content surrounding all things Texas A&M. You can check out all of our great work at si.com slash tamu or at Aggies SI. And last but not least, if you want to follow me on social media, it's really simple. I'm at Mr. Cole Thompson. I'm a mister. I'm Cole Thompson. That's my name. Don't wear it out. So at Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, and at Locked on Aggies. So Friday night was a mixed review from AM, but the ending was sweeter than the beginning. During the very first drive, Kellen Mom would fumble the ball on the second play, trying to rush for a couple yards. That would lead to a turnover and actually... What seemed to be a very promising start for Oklahoma State ended in sour defeat due to their kicker, uh, Mr. Amendola, who missed a 49-yard field goal to put them up 3-0. On the ensuing drive, Drew Brown would find Braden Johnson for a 42-yard touchdown to give the Cowboys a 7-0 lead. The literal next drive following a 3-and-out by A&M, Brown would rush for 9 yards after a 56-yard pass to Johnson to put the team up 14-0. Nothing would really happen until about midway through the second quarter where Isaiah Spiller on a 6-play drive would run it in from a... Uh, one yard from one yard out, they would then make it 14 to seven. They would go into halftime down seven to nothing. But here we go. Here comes Texas A&M, the team that we know, the team we know is going to be successful in the future and has the opportunity to be one of the better teams in the SEC, showing why in the second half. Mom would find Jalen Weidemeyer for a 20-yard pass and one play later, Anaya Smith, who took snaps actually at running back and wide receiver, would take an option pitch for a 19-yard gain to put the Aggies up inside of the red zone. Three plays later, Mom would find Jamon Osmond, his go-to target all season, to tie the game at 14 on a 10-yard touchdown pass. Back and forth kind of swaps, three and outs, four and outs. Maybe, maybe five, six plays at most. A lot of punts from Braden, man. A lot of punts from Oklahoma State. But eventually, with 10 minutes and 45 seconds left in the fourth quarter, Kellen Mond would break free into the middle of the defense, finding a way to juke out two defenders and break into the third-level defense. It then became a foot race to the end zone, almost got tackled right at the goal line, uh, right at the goal line like five yards short. That could have led to something horrific, but instead it led to a 67-yard touchdown run from the Aggies to give AM their first lead of the night, 24-21. 
They would then drive on the ensuing play after a major fourth down stop by DeMarvin Leal, the freshman, was able to get Spencer Sanders, the actual true quarterback for Oklahoma State, who suffered a hand injury during the Kansas game earlier this season. He actually would only play, I think, four total plays in this game. It was Drew Brown who really took control. But one of those plays was this fourth down play where DeMarvin Leal, who had just got a sack on Brown, picked up a fourth down stop on fourth and one and was able to keep the Aggies alive. Next play, uh, very first play for the A&M, Kellermanbrook three for a 30-yard touchdown, 30-yard uh, run. They wouldn't be able to get the ball in the end zone, so they settled for a 24-yard Seth Small field goal kick. Uh, then just it was a great return by Oklahoma State. A couple good passes from Drew Brown, ending with a five-yard touchdown pass to Braden Johnson, making it 21-24. The Cowboys tried to get that onside kick. They tried to make things interesting and see if they were going to be able to bring something to life. They couldn't get it. In the end, Texas A&M improves to 2-0 on bowl season with Jimbo Fisher at the helm. They'll finish the year 8-5, and five, same record as the Oklahoma State Cowboys, and we'll have a chance to now make an argument that, that they deserve to be ranked because of they did get a win against a top 25 team. One of the biggest arguments all year against Texas A&M has been the fact that they have yet to play really anyone worthy of a top 25 ranking. When you look at their win record before Friday night's game, their best win came to a 500 Mississippi State team. They were able to beat out teams like UTSA, Lamar, and Texas State. Easy wins. They're lesser opponents. Uh, they don't play in big conferences. They should have easily gotten those wins. Arkansas was in massive trouble, and I still think they are, even after the hiring and firing of Chad Morris. They're still in massive trouble, and I don't see them improving anytime soon, so that should have been an easy win. Ole Miss with Matt Luke. Yeah, I like Matt Luke. They were He was a good guy. He got with his players, but the Lane Kiffin hire makes a ton of sense, and that's a better hire for the program, and that's a better hire for the organization. It's a better hire for recruiting. Kiffin's going to be fine in the SEC. And then South Carolina, another team that when you look at on paper is kind of like Arkansas Ole Miss kind of style. They're in the SEC, but they're more so there for merit, not for actual competition. With this win over a top 25 Oklahoma State team, that speaks volume of the success that this program can have. Maybe not even the success of the program, but the success of where this program is headed. There's so many things that you look at and wonder, oh, okay, we're just a terrible program. That's not true. That's not true. You play in the toughest conference in college football. And I will say that until I'm bone dry. Georgia, top 10 team. Florida proved they were a top 10 team. Alabama, any other year besides the fact they lost to a Tungavailoa, top 5 team. Auburn, top 15 team. LSU, top 15 team every single season. And AM is vying to be right in that middle mark. An 8-5 and five season is very good for a second-year coach. And I know Jimbo Fisher is a very smart coach, and he has won championships at Florida State, but Florida State was built for him to succeed. A&M wasn't. A&M had their players that were good, 
but they still had to do some recruiting and rebuilding. And with the roster at hand right now, there's going to be some great promise for the program. Because right now, they'll finish again this year with a top five recruiting class to match their top five recruiting class from last year, who five players made a massive statement for the team all season long. And they have a veteran leadership with guys such as Osmond, Rogers, Courtney Davis, Kellen Mond, Buddy Johnson, Keldrick Harper, all coming back next year. The Aggies are really losing three starters in Colton Prater, in Justin Matabike, who declared for the draft, and Braden Mann. That's it. You know how many other teams are would be so happy to keep their core together? Not a lot of other players are going to have that. So next year, with this win over a top 25 Oklahoma State team, that could be a, predict, a prediction for what we see in the future. Speaking of predictions, we're going to go ahead and look back at some of our midseason predictions and see what we were right on and see what we were wrong on. And we'll be breaking that down in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson still here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M, getting you ready for the new year. It's kind of weird for me because I've been saying so long that I'm getting you ready for the Texas Bowl, but instead I'm actually getting you ready for the new year and actually the new decade. Yeah, I know. Crazy. This time 10 years ago, I was a sophomore in high school just trying to figure out what the heck was going on with my life, where I was headed, what direction I was going in. Did I even know what kind of car I really wanted to drive? Was I going to ever get a date with a girl? Now I get to talk sports for a living and also write about sports for a living. And if you like people who actually get to talk about sports for a living, make sure you listen to the Locked On Podcast Network. There's so many great shows out there, including everything with the MLB and their offseason, the NFL, which offseason is about to come. The NBA, which, you know, is in the midst of their season and going to be the only sport on television for a couple months, uh, NHL, and then of course you have college basketball, which has over two dozen teams for you to listen to. So go ahead and make sure you listen to the Locked On Podcast Network at LockedOnPodcast.com. Something I've learned in this past decade is young is always better. I don't know why, but we've always treated younger people, I feel like, with more respect, and they don't really deserve it. They haven't done anything. But in the case of Texas A&M, the younger talent actually is the reason why I personally think outside of Kellen Mond's 67-yard touchdown run that the team won. And the reason the team was successful for a majority of the season. Jalen Weidemeyer, if we just talk about him just for a second because he didn't do anything in the bowl game besides make one catch. But if you look at him in the regular season and what he was able to do for this A&M team, it's astounding. And what's even more crazy about that whole statistical stuff is he wasn't the projected starter. He wasn't even the projected second stringer. Glenn Beal was the projected second string player. But instead, Weidemeyer comes in out of Dickinson and becomes Kellen Mond's safety net across the middle of the field for three or four catches a game that would go for... 20-yard gains, and then you get touchdowns. Finishes the year with over 450 receiving yards, over 30 catches, and six touchdowns, the team high, 
Actually, it's now the second high because Jamon Osmond technically broke it with his bowl game touchdown. But either way, you look at this guy and you're wondering, man, we have him for at least two more years? What is this offense going to look like? And then you have to look at some of the other players as well that were a major factor. Let's just start on defense. Damani Richardson was the only player, in my personal opinion, who I thought was going to be something special. This entire season, from all the freshmen, I was like, Damani Richardson, I'm watching him and I believe in him. And he stepped up. 71 total tackles on the year, one interception, one forced fumble. I think it was one sack. I think it was six tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Friday night, he was incredible in coverage. Him and Keldrick Carver allowed that 57-yard touchdown bomb to Brandon Johnson. Outside of that, they didn't do anything wrong. Damani played great. He was fantastic in coverage. In the middle of the field, he was a reliable wrap-up tackler. He was making plays left and right. And you pair that with one of the young guys coming in in Antonio Johnson in 2021. I mean, Keldrick Carper is a great player, but if Antonio Johnson pans out, oh my God, the two of them back there, one in coverage and one is a reliable, strong safety, that's going to be dangerous. DeMarvin Leal, same thing. He finished with the, I think it was the second most tackles behind Damani Richardson. I think he had seven total tackles. He had two big time stops. The first was on second down for, I think it was a loss of seven. And it became third and 17. He bursted through that line. And Oklahoma State's offensive line did not play bad. They didn't. Yeah, they allowed three sacks, but they did not play that bad. They gave Drew Brown plenty of time. And on that play, Leal just made him look like mincemeat. Literally, he just tore through them like a kid who hasn't eaten all day rips through a bag of potato chips. That's how good he was. And then, of course, you had the fourth down stop, which, oh my God. When you look at what was going wrong with A&M and for them to get that stop, that's huge. That's beyond huge for the program. That's exponential. how talented this team is and what that says about the future. And then on offense, two more players. Three, really. Kenyon Green, great on the great in the trenches. He didn't allow a sack. I still am not sure he's going to be playing guard next year. I could see him with tackle. But either way, tomato, tomato. He's still played very good on the offensive line. Isaiah Spiller. Name another freshman who comes in and is told, you're going to be the starter all season because of we have no one that we can trust. There wasn't one in the SEC this year. Everyone else had an established back. Everyone. He rushed for over 950 yards this season for the line of scrimmage. And then imagine you getting told the week before your bowl game, your very first bowl game, hey, you're our only running back. Yeah, we have another guy, but Cordarian Richardson's not going to play. You're our guy. So figure it out. That's tough on a freshman. That's tough on a senior. And he delivered. I think it was 17 carries, 77 yards, and the one-yard touchdown run to give the Aggies a 14-7 deficit. 
He had a good game. I think he had three runs over 10 yards. So you pair that with one of the young guys coming in, whether that be Zach Evans or um, or one of the two three-star recruits, the Fort Bend Marshall kid. I'm blanking on his name right now, but he's super fast. You pair that, that's a good backfield. And Cordarian Richardson apparently is coming back next season as the you know burly back. So there we go. You got him as well. But the guy who gets the game ball for me personally is Anaya Smith. When you hear do it all, think of Anaya Smith from now on. Because apparently Fisher came up to him on Monday and said, hey, we're going to execute some plays to use you as a running back. And most kids would be like, uh, I'm a wide receiver coach. I have no idea how to play that position. Well, not Smith. Smith was able to break free for 58 total yards on seven carries. He also had two receptions for 13 yards. Fishing, I think, with a total of 68 yards on the day. That's a guy that I want on my team daily. I will vouch for him to be a major factor for my offense in some capacity every snap of the way. And now with those five guys making big-time plays for this A&M team, and you pair those five guys with the veteran roster that's in place, and you pair those five guys with whatever freshmen come up and make the same impact that they did last season, next season, my bad, A&M is a legitimate playoff contender if everything hits. This is the year, 2020, that they're actually going to be good. Speaking of good teams, we still have yet to see really any of the talented teams in the SEC play their bowl games. So we're going to make those predictions and get you caught up on what you missed in SEC play this far in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson still here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M and getting you ready for the new year. Man, that is going to be tough to get over saying getting you ready for the Texas Bowls. So bear with me if I do say something along the lines of that in the future. Speaking of which, there were several games in the SEC of teams that A&M did play this year who finally had their bowl games, and there's still several more left to go to see if the A&M can finish the year with at least... Uh, a majority of their teams winning out and representing the conference pretty well. So let's go ahead and break those games down. On Saturday, December 28th, the LSU Tigers took on the Oklahoma State Sooners, the number four Oklahoma State Sooners, might might I add you, in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl down in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, we could say this was a game. I mean, we could argue and say that this was a game because Oklahoma scored in every single quarter. Seven points. In every single quarter. Meanwhile, Joe Burrow set a new (laughs) SEC record and a new team record for most passing yards and touchdowns in a half. Before halftime, Joe Burrow threw for 403 yards and seven touchdowns to give the team a 49-14 lead going into halftime. I really wish this wasn't that funny, but it's really funny. Oklahoma could not contain Jalen Hurts, former Alabama quarterback, threw for 217 yards. Joe Burrow threw for a total of 493. 
I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he scored every single touchdown in some capacity. Yeah, no, he scored eight touchdowns. My bad. Jer- uh, Gerard and Emery Jr. scored the other uh, very late. Yeah, John Emery Jr. scored with uh, 359 left. Oh, LSU moves on to the national title, 63-28 victory over the Sooners. Yesterday, in the Music City Bowl up in Nashville, Tennessee, Mississippi State trying to end their season on a positive note. They would be without Garrett Schrader, their freshman quarterback, who was punched in the face by his own teammate during warm-up drills. That would lead to some controversy for the team. It seemed like, overall, this was going to be a very good game for Oklahoma, uh, for Mississippi State because they started off really strong. Tommy Stevens with the three-yard touchdown run in the first quarter to give the team a 7-0 lead. And five minutes into the second quarter, Nick Gibson got a three-yard t- uh, touchdown run to give the Bulldogs a 14-0 lead. But Scott Satterville knows what it's like to win. He did it a ton at Appalachian State, and he's doing it now at Louisville. Marshawn, Marshawn Ford, 33-yard touchdown pass to 2-2 Attell. They make it a 14-7. Later, right before uh, right before the end of the half, Orion Shaflo, 31-yard field goal would make it 14-10. And then here come the Cardinals in the second half. Devontae Pete, a 24-yard touchdown pass from Mikhail Cunningham to give the team a 17-14 lead. And then uh, Kalani uh, yeah, Kalani passed with a 31-yard fumble recovery off of his Stevens fumble, making it 24-14. Marsh on forward to my, uh, from Michael Cummings, another one, 31-14. In the end, it was all Louisville in the second half. 38-28 is the final score. They were so far the only loss in conference play. Meanwhile, we go to the Orange Bowl, the other New Year's Six game. Four have been played. There's two left. One will feature Georgia later this week. This seemed like it didn't matter because Virginia wasn't a good team. Or they weren't deserving of being there as the number 24 team. And Florida made a statement of why they are a top 10 team. LaMichael P. Ryan with with 40 seconds into the game. 61-yard touchdown. We're going to make it 7-0. And Terrell Janna... Uh, would tie it up, though, with a 34-yard touchdown pass from Bryce Perkins. LaMichael Pirine then a 16-yard touchdown pass from Kyle Trask, who will return next season as the Gators' potential starting quarterback. Bryce Perkins, though, he's not going down without a fight. Nine-yard touchdown pass to Hase Dubois to make it 14-14, and then an Evan McPherson 23-yard field goal to make it 17-14 in favor of the Gators. They would continue to run LaMichael P. Ryan with 2 minutes and 13 seconds left in the second quarter. 10-yard touchdown run. Evan McPherson would also then get a 49-yard field goal to make it 27-14 going into the fourth quarter. Here we go. Here comes what we all know to be a a Virginia team that's scrappy. Bryce Perkins, 7-yard touchdown pass to Joe Reed, but Kyle Trask on the very next drive would run it in for a 1-yard touchdown run. They'd go for the 2-pointer. They would fail, but Evan McPherson would nail his 42-yard field goal. Hase Dubois with a late touchdown. I mean, we're talking late. 38 seconds left, making it 36-28 the final. The Gators are the second team in the SEC to win their bowl game. There's several games that we're going to fe- feature real fast. Just going to go quickly through and see what we can expect. Indiana, uh, let's go. Let's see. Who's the first one we have today? Yeah, for today. Virginia Tech versus Kentucky. It's going to be the Lynn Bowden show. Is he going to be anything special? I think he will. I like this Virginia Tech team, but they haven't really impressed in the second season under Justin Puente. But it's Bud Foster's final game. I love Bud Foster. I personally think he should have been named the head coach 
when Frank Beamer stepped down. So I must say that he at least goes out on top of the victory. Virginia Tech gets the win. Tomorrow, my alumni, Alabama. Man, I can't believe Alabama is not playing in the New Year's Six Bowl. We'll take on the number 14 Michigan Wolverines. At least it's going to be a good game. We know it is. I think it's a lot closer than people expect, but I do think Mac Jones is a better quarterback than Shea Patterson, and I do think that they are a better team overall. Jim Harbaugh is a good coach. I really do believe that, but Nick Saban's better. Alabama gets an easy win over Michigan. Moving on, Minnesota versus Auburn. This is one of those games where I think you could see an upset, but it, would it really be an upset? Because Minnesota's good. Just how good were they? I think they were very good. I think that the record shows that. I'm going to go Minnesota gets the upset over Auburn. Bo Nix has had an up-and-down year. I don't really think he's that great. I think he struggled a lot. Tomorrow night in on New Year's Day, Baylor, number five, taking on... Number uh, number seven, Baylor taking on number five, Georgia. Georgia back in the dome for the second straight year. This seems like, with all the rumors surrounding Matt Rule and what's going on there, I cannot help but just say I think that this is going to be an easy win for ba Georgia. I do. Jake Fromm is, I think, the best quarterback in this game. You don't know if Corey Brewer's playing. Denzel Mims has been a lopsided player without Corey Brewer. And Georgia's a good team. So I'm going to go Georgia gets the win. Final game in SEC play, Indiana versus Tennessee. Listen, I'm sorry. Tennessee is a good team by the fact of they got it together. But this Indiana team is very special this year. Tom Allen's done a great job up there. He's going to have uh, his his offense coordinator, um, Mike Dubois, for uh, one more game before he goes out to Fresno State. Uh, DeBoer, my bad. I, I know I said that wrong. I think Indiana gets the win. So overall, I see this upcoming weekend there being three wins in the SEC and three losses. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Locked on Aggies, at Aggies SI, and at Mr. Cole Thompson. Tomorrow, as we ring in the new year, we will look back on the decade and talk about the every player at every position in this past decade for our all-decade team for Texas A&M. We'll see you tomorrow. And remember, yeah, give me all. This has been Locked on Aggies. Presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.